Welcome to the Recon Podcast. In this episode, I want to talk about FF. No, I'm not talking about full fetish or I'm not talking about fisting, but I want to talk about fetish and fitness. I'll be joined by Recon member Coach Chris to talk about the physical and mental aspects of fitness and wellness and the intersection of how both play into our kink and fetish lives. Please enjoy the episode. So, welcome to another episode of the Recon Podcast. And I think this is a really interesting topic that we've wanted to touch on for quite some time. And I think one of the reasons it's come to the forefront, you know, it's like chatting to personal friends and other people also dealing and battling with these issues. And we see so much of it happening. Um, you know, it it plays out in real life on social media for us all the time. And I think I've also seen it kind of maybe not even trickling, but streaming into people's profiles and uh, you know, watching their interactions with other people when they're out at events, including at our events. Um, I think most of us would probably admit to giving this topic some thought. Some of us might even admit to giving the topic a lot of thought. And at the same time, I imagine that there are many of us that might shy away from the topic altogether and don't even want to think about physicality and fitness and how this could relate to their fetish lives. Um, but you know, I would like you listeners to pause for a minute and think about, well, when you're cruising or choosing who you play with and how you decide to play and the kind of play you want to have, you know, what is your approach to that? You know, do you think about potentially, and I'm saying potentially like in quotes here, how much pressure and expectation we put on ourselves as well as the pressure and expectation we put on the partners or the other people we want to play with. And this can either be whether, you know, you're into a one-time quick bang bang or you're actually into a long-term session. So I think it's like, think about what that means. Um, you know, the pressure isn't just about performance. That in itself is a whole other podcast. But, you know, it's, uh, let's say, as whether you're a sub or a dom, a master slave, top or bottom, you go into this dynamic, into this, this meeting, this coming together with an expectation because you want to be pleased. You want to have fun and you're expecting the other person to actually provide you with this pleasure. And I think as much as we all like to claim, well, you know, I'm not so shallow and it's not all about the aesthetic. I mean, let's call a fucking spade a spade here. When you're chatting to people online, of course, sometimes you read the text, but the most thing or the first thing that attracts you is going to be the picture, the profile picture. Otherwise, we wouldn't see this on profile so much, you know. So I think the that visual stimulation is something that's really important to how we engage and interact with the people we choose to play with. And I think it plays such a huge part. And when you think about what you want them to provide, you know, sometimes you then start to read the text of what they've written or you try to engage in conversation. And I know most people will do this also. Of course, you want to get turned on by what they want to say. But for me personally, this is also a little bit of a mental health assessment. I want to see where their head is at in terms of what kind of kink we're going to be engaging, because it also helps me to understand whether or not I myself can live up to the expectation of whatever this person has framed in their head for what they want. It's always very interesting. You know, people say to me, oh, but you know, you look like this in your gear. People, let me tell you, the stress is fucking real. You know, to think that you want to look the part, because I think we're all 
on the platform, we all go out with similar goals in mind. We want to connect and interact and meet other people and we want to play. And no one wants to play with someone that might come across as unstable or unbalanced or unrealistic about their expectations, which sometimes you can suss from a conversation you have with them online. This is why the chatting is really good, people. So make sure you talk to people first. But the other thing we cannot get away from still is the physical aspect of this. I think maybe before I even talk about the rest, this this just brings something to my mind that I have to put out there as well, because it also makes me think about how I also engage with certain people and how I think about my own physicality when I'm choosing who I play with or the types of people I play with. Um, you know, people always say, you look really tall in your pictures. I'm not that tall. I'm five foot eight. I'm kind of small. It's very interesting that the challenge that comes to me or the pressure comes if, if I play with someone who's bigger and sometimes it's hard to be a small, mostly dumb, uh, mostly top guy who the bigger guy wants to be, you know, my sub. I'm the kind of guy I like to toss a guy around. And that's a bit harder to do if the guy weighs, you know, twice as much as I do. No matter how hard I turn or attracted I am. I mean, you always say you can always find other ways. There are other ways to enjoy kink. But the first thing that usually pops into my head is I think I would struggle to please this guy because I won't be able to give him what he wants. And it's kind of interesting that from a physical point of view, I've now also created this kind of mental block, let's say, in a way, and put the pressure on myself before the engaging with the other person has actually even come to fruition. And I can imagine that I'm probably not the only person to do this. I think we must all do this at some point. And a lot of times, it's sometimes easy to use it as the sole purpose for not meeting someone, but then you go away and the issue, the subject is never really dealt with. What you've kind of done is like created a reason to skirt the issue, to circumvent the, eh, but are we really addressing the pressure and the issue of how much our enjoyment, our sexual enjoyment really needs to match up with expectations on ourselves and as well as other people when we talk about physical and mental. And this is in terms of health and well-being. So I want you to think about that. How often do you do that? You know, on another side, let's say at a very basic level, this is where we all very often as a community start putting on other people, maybe without thinking about it. You know, somebody comes into the scene for the first time. You think about the gear you want to wear. And immediately the pressure increases. Do I look good in this? Does this look good on me? Will I look the part? Will I feel good in it? Will people judge me for what I'm wearing? Will I feel like I belong? You know, I had someone say to me the other day, it's really awkward. I feel much better naked than when I'm in my gear because naked I am as I am. But the minute I put the gear on, the pressure comes in because they start thinking about how they look and how they feel and is their body right in it. And this is an external pressure which seems to be increasing so much more within you know, the shift of our, our of our little community. How often do we, if I can even dare to say that, you know, delude ourselves into thinking that we aren't so picky or that we aren't so body conscious when it comes to choosing the partners we play with? You know, everybody loves, oh, I love a hairy daddy. I love a dad bod, blah, blah, blah. 
But when I also look sometimes at the way that people express these things in their profiles of the types of people they want to play with, sometimes I'm really not sometimes I'm most often quite disheartened by what people write, because people can very often, maybe knowingly, maybe unknowingly be very negative about this, you know, and I think in this instance, so that we don't create issues or pressures for anyone else that maybe even just be reading the profile, whether we're interested in playing with them or not. I think this is definitely one of those areas and understanding how body conscious we all are, whether we admit it or not, but we are. And we should talk about, I think, more of what we like and what we enjoy and in a very positive way, rather than what we don't like. Because the intent of, you know, when we think about bonding this community together, we don't want the community to be putting people down. If anything, we want to find ways to lift people up. And I think we're only going to be able to enjoy certain aspects of our pink lives in this bringing together. This we should be the joyous melting of fetish and fitness together if we are lifting each other up and we're really positive and figuring out how you get the best personal experience out of this. It is such a tightrope that, um, you know, we have to balance. Uh, not always very easy. And at the same time, what's really lovely is to meet people who are trying to help other people to, you know, to get through this and deal with this. We've had other psychotherapists on, on the podcast before talking about, you know, the importance of mental health when it comes to kink play. But we don't often talk about the nuances or how the tricky of balancing the physical and the mental. Everyone seems to, let's not talk about body types. No, no body shaming. We're all body positive and embracing sexuality. And how positive are we really? Let me bring on our guest, Recon member, Coach Chris. Welcome, Chris, to the Recon Podcast. Hey, Antoine, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us. Um, you are, uh, in all effects, a, a strength coach. Yeah, absolutely. So um, um, for all intents and purposes, I'm a strength nerd um, and geek. Um, and so I'm extreme as a coach, I'm really passionate about strength, whether that's, um, you know, physical strength or inner strength. Um, and so um, if you kind of strip that back into, you know, professional qualification. Um, so um, my background's within strength and conditioning. Um, and so um, um, what that means is it's the um, study of, of strength from a physical perspective, and then also cardio conditioning from uh, a physical perspective as well. And so um, uh, for quite a few years, um, I worked within um, uh, as, a, as a sports coach um, uh, within a rugby gym. Um, so I'm sure you can appreciate that type of environment. It's um, it's quite a, you know, a team focused environment. So it's usually one coach, for players, you know, as a coach myself, you know, I try and replicate that um, that experience in um, what what I do today. But I'm, I'm sure you can appreciate um, in a rugby context, um, uh, you know, there's a dynamic that's at play um, um, within a team. Um, as a coach, kind of learning their trade within that environment, you learn really quickly how to do a couple of things. So one, um, manage that dynamic. 
to um, um, develop strength um, f- um, within your players um, uh, for the demands of the sport. Um, but then also, I'm sure you can appreciate um, rugby players, they're, they're, they're quite big as individuals. So, and there is a requirement to be really fast. And that's where the conditioning sort of um, um, aspect comes into play. Um, but in that environment, you know, there's a lot of injuries. Um, um, it, it, it is sport, so it is a mental game as well. So as a coach, um, um, you are getting like really adept at um, coaching someone through injury or um, um, through their emotions effectively, whether it's on the pitch or off the pitch, um, um, but predominantly within, you know, the weights room. And so as part of that experience, I also started coaching strong men. So if you've seen... World's Strongest Man um, usually pops on um, around uh, Christmas. Um, uh, so um, very large guys all across Europe or globally lifting uh, 300 kilo plus deadlifts or pulling cars, um, et cetera. Um, you know, that's my favorite style of training. So as a strength coach um, um, and strength geek, um, you start to absorb and amass um, quite a wealth of um, um, information around how to build um, strength within um, not just the supporting muscle groups, but um, um, your larger muscle groups um, and apply that forward um, to sport, et cetera. Now, um, in in my work on on a daily basis, uh, predominantly, um, I, I work with kinksters, so people in the kink community, in the fetish community. And so essentially, you know, they're coming forward with a whole multitude of different goals. So it might be that um, uh, someone might feel like they've let themselves go in a way, um, um, they haven't prioritized their their health and their wellness, um, and they'd really like to reclaim that. They might be recovering from injury, feel like they need some support to go through that journey. But also, um, oftentimes, um, a lot of clients come forward, and you know, they're they're just not really happy about their bodies. Um, so um, they might have lost their confidence in some way, um, or maybe their sexiness, um, in their words, through a combination of strength training nutrition and then also really empathetic coaching i'm i'm able to kind of meet people where they're at and take them on that journey um to reclaim either that um, lost health or confidence or you know um uh, develop um the bodies that they're wanting to develop uh so yeah um, that's a little bit more about me and what i do this is something that we know has created a huge pressure for a lot of people. I think, especially post pandemic, you know, yeah. if I count the number of times someone says, well, I could fit this before the pandemic, but I've kind of <laughs> lost control of my, you know, my body, my shape, um, yeah. my physical confidence post pandemic. And I think you kind of register immediately that this also somehow, oh, not even somehow, but it's also a very clear knock on their mental confidence as well, you know? And I think this really affects, uh, when I start listening to conversations people are having, like, well, I'm not sure I'm ready to play yet because, um, Mm. you know, I don't fit into my gear. I can't wear this anymore. I feel like I look a particular way. So it's also very interesting to hear firsthand from people how this kind of like cross section, the tying in of the two things, you know, really come together because it matters to them so much that one, they want to fit in their gear, but they can't. Mm. And they think yeah. the fact that they cannot fit into the gear means that they cannot play, that they're yeah. not attractive enough to play. And I think that's really quite 
sad that, you know, we would use, okay, I mean, I, I know how important the gear is for many people, yeah. but it's also mm. quite sad that that then becomes the barrier, you know, to Definitely. enjoying. But then again, the reality of that is also, these are real problems that people face on, on a daily basis. It's still figuring out like where people actually go to try and address these issues. Um, you know, like a little bit before recording, you know, you, we talked a little bit about your personal journey um, mm. coming in as a kingster. Can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey, how you started and how you got into this? Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I, I think before I jump into it, I just kind of want to touch on one of those points and, you know, that that kind of barrier that we put upon ourselves, you know, when we're not feeling like um, we have the right to have a seat at the table within a kink and a fetish um, um, environment because we might not feel like we have the right body type or our body's not quite ready or we're not quite ready. Um, it, it is a shame because um, it's, it's it's fully not the case within the scene, um, as we both know. The scene is really inclusive in a way. It's very um, um, social. There is this wonderful transformative nature of gear where um, there's a certain amount of power that comes from putting on, you know, whether it's, you know, we're both um, rubberists, but putting on, you know, um, your rubber gear or whether it's, you know, um, a cat suit or, um, you know, certain fun pieces, um, um, you do, you do kind of step into a different version of yourself, um, for that moment in time or into a persona that in itself is very transformative and really rewarding and actually builds a lot of confidence in that moment. You know, having a lot of these conversations with other kinksters who, um, um, fetishize, you know, um, different materials, whether it's leather or neoprene or lycra, um, you know, they, they all kind of like report the same, you know, that feeling, that fear, feeling of power, um, powerfulness. First, before I get into my story, my message to anyone who's kind of listening to this and thinking, you know, maybe I don't have the right body um, and that's not something that I'm going to get into or not try or, you know, they're, they're kind of talking themselves out of the environment or from, you know, discovering an aspect of themselves. Don't hold yourself back. Don't talk yourself um, out of um, um, environments that are welcoming to you, um, go for it. Um, um, explore, um, participate. Um, okay, so with that out of the way, I just wanted to talk to you about my my personal experience. Um, and so, you know, I, I think a lot of you know we're we're both based in London. I'm from Toronto originally, but I, I grew up in the the London fetish scene, effectively. So as a 17 year old, and uh, yeah, that was many moons ago, so 23 years ago. So I've seen quite a lot of cycles within the London scene. And so you know, my first forays were um, um, at the hoist. So um, I used to be a very young Hoist boy, um, you know, at 17, 18, my, my first kind of experiences were uh, through SM Gays, actually, um, and some of the educational um, events that they used to do at the Hoist. And so, um, you know, I'm, I feel like very lucky that I've had that experience. But, you know, the scene was quite different back then for um, rubber fetishists um, of my age. You know, there there weren't many people who were 18, 19, 20. Um, uh, so, I could kind of count the number of people who were my age on on my hand, really. And so it's such a stark difference to 
how vibrant and young um, the fetish scene is at the moment, um, um, which is um, really refreshing and wonderful to see. But, you know, at the time, you know, as a young person, um, yeah, it was um, it was interesting. It was it was this whole new world to explore of protocol, um, of negotiating um, um, interactions, um, whether that was building new connections or even um, negotiating um, the sex that I wanted as well. Um, and so um, through, throughout that experience, it was kind of like fraught with a lot of test and learn and mistakes and feeling like I got it wrong um, as well. Um, uh, but I think um, all in all, it, it was a really positive experience of discovery. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy that I had access to that as a young person here in London. And I think that's what makes the scene here really phenomenal. Um, uh, I left London for um, uh, quite a few years, so about eight, moved back to Canada and North America. Um, and in that move, I um, unfortunately, I um, kind of started leaning into the corporate lifestyle, should we say. Um, so was drinking quite heavily, eating out quite a lot, going for convenience foods. Honestly, I'm, I'm smoking quite a lot. And so really let go of my health. And so for me, you know, um, as a teenager, um, I was... I would say, you know, from the age of like seven and eight, I was teased quite a lot, you know, for, for my weight. I was a bigger boy, um, an easy target as well. And uh, so definitely kind of like was brought up with a fair bit of bullying just around my size. Uh, but, um, you know, um, within that, uh, my parents had wanted to um, essentially um, toughen me up in a way. So I was quite a... Um, let's just say I'm a really affectionate child. Um, <laughs> and so, um, and, and um, I'm, I'm sure you can kind of appreciate this, you know, kind of coming from a Caribbean background as well. My, my mom's side of the family are Caribbean and, you know, to have quite, you know, an affectionate, you know, son growing up. Um, can create like a lot of indicators um, for yeah. some parents in the Caribbean community. And so, um, so they had wanted to, you know, toughen me up um, so that I could take care of myself um, effectively. So if I was in any trouble, I would be able to fend for myself. When I was um, eight, uh, they enrolled me in martial arts um, and jujitsu, um, which was absolutely brilliant for my own personal confidence. Um, um, it gave me the tools to defend myself. So much so that um, I got into weapons training um, and so um, uh, and street fighting. So for, for many years, I was using all sorts of Japanese weapons and really getting into that, whether that was the katana or the bow or the size or the nunchucks. And on the street fighting side of things, there was a lot of um, um, knife work as well. Um, and so for, I'd say about um, 10 years, effectively, you know, that was my outlet for sport. And so within that um, outlet, especially with a, a sport like martial arts, there's a, there's a certain amount of discipline um, that's instilled within you. And it's the discipline, not just over um, restraint, um, but it's the discipline over your mind. And so as a young person, um, you know, a teenager, really, there's a lot of life lessons that were kind of like learned going through that experience of 
transformation, but renewal and restraint um, and showing up for yourself within that environment. So for me, flash forward into the future where I felt that in, in my you know early 30s that I had let myself go in a way, it was it was quite a disappointment to myself because I had created this expectation on my life that I was living a healthy lifestyle, one of discipline, one of restraint, um, um, where I was taking care of my mind and my body. And to let go of that created quite a lot of inner, I'd say like turmoil um, and self-blame within that cycle. And so um, within that, you start to fall into like a negative spiral. And I think we can all appreciate that and really kind of like relate to that. Um, you know, when you're not, when you feel like you've created a commitment to something, um, whether that's your physical wellness or your mental wellness, and you feel like um, you're not showing up for yourself, you start to, you know, really internalize that. And so uh, in the, in that period, um, I actually had some health scares. So my mother uh, effectively had was, her health was in decline. Um, uh, she had developed congestive heart failure. So essentially she, um, she lost um, the um, uh, ability to pl- p- pump blood into her heart and started to decline. So her mobility declined, et cetera. And so, um, um, so that really put it into laser focus that, you know, Hey, you know what, Chris, I've, I've really got to do something here. I've, I've got to take control of my health. Um, but then also, um, my mental health as well. You know, I was, um, seeking solace at the bottom of a bottle, really, you know, on the weekends to cope with life, um, to cope with a corporate job. And, um, it, it wasn't doing me any favors. And that's re- really kind of like kickstarted that journey. Um, back into health and wellness um, and, um, you know, kind of taking control of that um, uh, that journey for myself again. So you found your, I guess you found your resolve, your courage, or the courage to start through fitness, which then led you through, if I can like it in a roundabout kind of way, with fitness always comes a certain level of discipline. And I think you want to, you know, if you set a goal or something that you want to achieve and you can stick with it, I think this is also maybe one part of tying in when people talk about, you know, how important your mental health is to your physical health. There's a lot more for just, you know, saying, you know, if you think it, you'll feel it. Um, But it's actually, you know, putting it into practice. But we know how difficult this is for a lot of other people. You know, one of the things we, I think that can happen, you know, on the other end, um, there are a lot of people who become seemingly totally obsessed with fitness and the way that they look. And it's, Mm. I'm always quite fascinated also when I come across profiles of other people who are a doing something so that they can become bigger because they want to be a bear and fit in with running Mm. with the bear crowd, or they're into you know, they're a sub who's into someone else who loves muscle worship. And so they do everything they possibly can to bulk themselves up and get as big as they possibly can. And I think we've seen sometimes it can have a really negative effect on people um, because the pressures are real. You know, so when we 
think about you know the term that people love to toss around mm. you know body dysmorphia um yes. you know which is so pop you know such a popular term in in, uh, in culture now social media and in king culture also we always talk about dealing with body dysmorphia and this can look so different for everyone this this looks so different for different people and it means something different to different people and how this ties into once again, I guess the challenges we have when we think about how we want to look ourselves, mm. not just for our own selves, but yeah. we want to look a particular way to attract the person we want to play with. And it's kind of the sacrifices that people will often make for the other person. And I think there are many questions to be asked about, you know, how safe is this physically and how safe is this mentally, you know, for your kink life? Uh, and I mean, imagining you, you probably have these discussions with people all the time. All the time. And I think, you know, that's um, that's kind of like one of the rewarding benefits of, you know, um, being a coach within um, the kink community is, you know, we do have like a really open dialogue around um, each other's kinks and fetishes, whether that, you know, that's in our in-person sessions or, you know, on group coaching calls and what have you. And so, yeah, um, it is um, it, it is a topic that comes up quite a lot. And I think it's quite interesting because the landscape within that, you know, there's there's quite a lot of realities to hold, you know, and you've touched on quite a few there. Um, you know, it's um, um, for the folks who are really into, you know, gaining and um, getting as big as they can and, and really fetishizing that, um, you know, and that's really legitimate, right? Um, and so um, within um, uh, that sort of growing and gaining fetish in a way, you know, there's a focus on enlargement, right? Whether that's um, of body parts parts or muscle, um, muscles specifically, um, um, it, it, it's that desire to, you know, get bigger, um, and larger effectively. Um, and you see that kind of like playing out even with like pumpers as well, you know, they, they like seeing that enlargement. There is that sort of reality to hold within it. Obviously, you know, there is the reality around things that we do to attract a play partner as well. Um, whether that's, um, um, changing our body specifically or the way that we kind of like project a persona as well to attract. Um, and also I think, you know, there's a, there's a few sort of other um, uh, realities in the mix. You know, we touched on young folks within the kink scene and, you know, that kind of feeling that I don't fit in. Um, and so, um, which can come from a, you know, a whole variety of things, right? So that's, the perception that the environment isn't inclusive um, um, and kind of holding themselves back around that. Or, you know, it might be a negative interaction that they've had. Maybe it's online, in person, et cetera, um, where they thought, um, do you know what? Maybe, you know, my confidence is a little bit shaken here. Um, I'm, I'm going to step back and retreat a little bit. Or, and I think everyone can um, relate to this. It's, it's that um, feeling again, that, um, you know, our body isn't right or perfect or um, attractive. Um, and so it's a large landscape that we're kind of playing with from a mental health perspective. And, you know, when we're thinking about body dysmorphia specifically, I think it's really important to um, uh, touch upon the distinction between, you know, the pop culture term um, that has become really prevalent at the moment and the actual disorder. So body dysmorphia itself is a anxiety disorder that is very similar to um, obsessive compulsive disorder. So the 
sufferer will be um, magnifying the perceived um, flaws or physical flaws that they perceive they have. Um, and so that might be the size of their nose, the quality of their skin, their hair, their nails. Um, it can also be muscle groups as well. And so um, there's a lot of fear and anxiety within social situations to maybe cover up those aspects or conceal or hide or change them. And so a lot of that excessive anxiety and worry can actually be hidden within a healthy lifestyle as well. And so um, it, um, you do from time to time see folks who can get really obsessed around um, a particular muscle group. So maybe that's their biceps or their forearms um, or the quads or even their glutes, you know, um, um, to the point where they're starting to put themselves down about those aspects. And so when that anxiety um, um, and that self kind of blame and put down, um, it starts to affect social situations or how they um, uh, might um, avoid turning up to work or um, turning up to see friends and family or social situations. Um, that's where it starts to become like really problematic where they're, you know, interrupting daily lives. And so definitely want to draw the distinction between the disorder in itself and then also body dysmorphia is, you know, the, 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 the popular psychology term that we are kind of like using, um, uh, quite frequently today. And so on the popular psychology perspective, I think, you know, the word kind of the term body dysmorphia is used quite a lot to, um, refer to the feeling that we feel when we look in the mirror, um, some days and we don't feel thrilled about what we see. That's a really normal human response. Um, and so uh, more often, you know, um, more often than not, you know, throughout my life, you know, there has been moments where, you know, I thought, actually, do you know what? Um, I'm looking at myself naked and I think I look really great. Um, and so, uh, and that gives me like a little bit of a boost for, you know, that day or that weekend or what have you. Um, but there's other days where, you know, I'm looking in the mirror and God, I feel like a monster, you know, um, uh, maybe I'm getting ready for like a night out or I've put gear on and something's not fitting quite right. And, um, you know, I start to internalize that um, and want to do something about it or perceive myself to be smaller or bigger um, than I am. And so kind of going back to, um, uh, dinner party I was at in December, um, uh, a, a friend of mine, um, had invited me over. Um, there was about six of us who were kind of sitting around and, you know, um, in December, my training regime, um, uh, kind of fell off the wagon a little bit, um, uh, because of a lot of things that were kind of like going on in my life at the time. And, um, I had mentioned it to the group and had said, do you know what? Um, I'm feeling really small you know, um, and, um, uh, I feel like I've lost a little bit of muscle. I'm not feeling at my best. I'm not looking at my best. And, um, I, I remember a close friend of mine at the time who was hosting, he was like, you've got body dysmorphia. Um, you look amazing. Um, and you know, uh, a lot of us would actually like love to have your body. Um, cause you know, you look phenomenal. And so it, it's quite a funny one where you, 
can develop this view of yourself, um, which is completely relative. And you almost forget that um, um, you go through different cycles and phases and your body will change um, within, you know, a season um, uh, or a couple of months or what have you based on, you know, certain things that are going on within your life. And that's absolutely okay. Um, and I think the, the, the thing to kind of bam home, um, is that from um, an aesthetic perspective, if we kind of have a look at the science around muscle growth or fat loss, uh, muscle gain, uh, fat gain, um, you know, these, these processes, um, um, they're actually, they're actually really fast. Um, so they, they change quite frequently so in terms of um fat loss and fat gain you know that's quite that can be you know a relatively like quick process so if you're looking to take off body fat for instance you could do that in a couple of months if you're looking to put on significant muscle you know that's obviously going to take a lot longer but you could also lose that muscle very quickly um, um within your physiology so um um you do kind of fluctuate between these seasons and i think also where it becomes like quite problematic is where you start to kind of obsess about a look how you might be perceived around how you look or show up or um what you might need to maintain um um to be um attractive it's quite an interesting topic but it's it's something that we can all relate to i think you know um we all have those days where we're just not feeling 100%. We're all having those days where we feel, oh, you know what? Um, uh, I, I feel like I, I might want to make a change. Um, we all have those days where we think, actually, do you know what? I can't be fucked. Um, uh, and we all have those days where we're thinking, oh, do you know what? Um, um, if only. And so um, with all of those aspects, um, I think it's really important to validate that these are all part of the normal human condition to have these feelings and it's absolutely okay to have these feelings but also to share those feelings as well i've i've got another one more question for you yeah yeah how important when you're coaching is mm -hmm. it for you to be able to be this positive source this positive inspiration yeah. for your clients. I imagine this also takes some energy out of you as well. And yeah. it's not only a case of, well, they're actually paying for a service, but yeah. I think also as a kingster, I would imagine you also have a little bit of a personal interest here because you can relate to the other things they're going through. So how important is it for you to spread that energy to your clients? Um, extremely. And so I think, you know, as a coach myself, you know, um, I'm, you know, very empathetic, um, you know, having gone through, I guess, various versions of, you know, my body or fitness journey or various states of how I viewed or perceived myself um, within the scene, you know, based on my own self-made body ideals, really, I can really, really recognize how difficult it can be when you are feeling like you're not feeling like you're good enough. Um, and so, um, you know, I think 
it, it's something that we can all relate to within uh, the LGBTQ plus community. And um, we all have this kind of core wounding from not feeling, you know, good enough or not feeling like we belong, right? Um, and so whether that's, you know, through that feeling of being shunned from society or, you know, our, our childhood upbringing or what have you. And so within that, um, you know, as a coach, I'm, I'm very cognizant of that wounding when you know a client is coming forward and so yes yeah for me it's it's mission critical so you've got different aspects that you're working with as a coach so you you might have someone who comes forward and you know they they just don't feel great about the way they look and so while you're getting them, you know, up and running as a client, you, you know, you're assessing their physical abilities, you're meeting them where they're at um, to, you know, kickstart that journey. Um, you're also starting to assess where they're at with the way that they're perceiving themselves and if they're perceiving themselves in a really negative cycle. Um, and so as we're kind of like going through that journey together, um, I'm able to um, start to head off some of those things. So you might hear certain comments or ways of speaking um, um, that they might have that's quite negative. So for, for example, um, um, someone might be saying, do you know what? I hate looking at myself naked because of X, Y, Z thing. And so as a coach, you're able to catch that and go, actually, do you know what? Let's re let's, Let's let's reframe that. Let's turn that around. Let's um, add some positivity into that. Really kind of first and foremost, validate that experience because that's normal to feel that way. But also similarly, um, catch it and change it. Um, and so as part of that process of maybe working on our nutrition together, um, uh, working on our um, physical strength, um, um, we're also working on that inner strength together. And I think that's part of the the most rewarding process as a coach um, is you're able to not just unlock someone's physical strength, um, but you're able to unlock their inner strength as well while you're going through that journey, catch those sort of insecurities that are coming up, and then also really unlock the realization in someone's mind that, yes, I am physically strong. I can do hard things. I can achieve hard things. I can overcome my challenges and what's beautiful about that journey is the two kind of like come together eventually within that process where the physical strength starts to unlock that inner strength but also that mental strength as well and so they um, come through that process and um, kind of emerge as not a different person because they are the same person, but um, a, a person that is feeling a lot more confident about their abilities, um, feeling a lot more calm within environments uh, because um, they've gone on a path of mental resilience and physical resilience and endurance. Um, and so that's quite um, a rewarding part of coaching for me, definitely. So yeah, mission critical, I'd say no matter what um, goal someone comes forward with, you know, whether they are wanting to build freakishly large quads um, or really huge forearms for all sorts of things in the bedroom, or, you know, they've, they're, they're wanting to, you know, cycle um, 30K, run a marathon, or, you know, just reclaim their health or look phenomenal in their gear. 
those are all really valid goals within that journey. Um, and so within each of those different mental hurdles, you do need to overcome um, and that you will come across. And so part of going through that process is building that mental resilience. Um, and, you know, kind of going back to one of the topics that we were talking about earlier, you know, um, uh, mental resilience as it pertains to um, kink and fetish. So what, what's kind of wonderful about resistance strength training, um, training generally, and that discipline that you're creating is um, one of the large trends that we're seeing with uh, the health and fitness industry is um, this prioritization and focus on wellness. You know, that takes quite a few lenses, but what's really kind of happened and what we've seen is um, since the pandemic um, and post-pandemic, there's been a really big drive in wellness products, um, um, a huge global um, discussion around mental health, um, a lot of prioritization of um, physical fitness and wellness. And, you know, uh, that, you know, rings true to, you know, a lot of the discussions that we're also having within a kinky and fetish context within the scene. You know, there's a lot more discussion around mental health. There's a lot more discussion around wellness. Um, and it's something that um, it's something it's a conversation that I have very frequently with a lot of people when I'm out and about. It does kind of pop up. And so I think what's really wonderful about making that shift in prioritizing not just the physical benefits, but also the mental benefits of training is that you are, by focusing on the um, mental benefits, you're increasing your dopamine levels, um, your serotonin levels, endorphins are flooding your system. So um, you're starting with all of those um, additional mood boosters, you start to feel more positively about yourself and you start to break out of negative thought patterns and thought cycles and into positive um, thought patterns and thought cycles. So it can really be a virtuous circle. And from a, a kink and fetish perspective, when we prioritize uh, those mental health benefits from training, um, um, there's other um, benefits that we derive from that. So um, uh, with a more positive view of ourselves, with a mind that is clearer with a mind that is more happier, um, we are able to do quite a few things. So one, um, we're able to um, show up and hold space for our partners. Um, um, we're able to build mental resilience, whether that's within um, a scene or a play setting, or maybe it's, you know, um, quite a heavy play session as well. Um, having the ability, whether you're, you know, um, a, a dom or sub or, you know, very switchy to be able to bring a certain level of mental clarity um, to a moment uh, allows for a really interesting play. And when you start to prioritize um, the physical aspects of fitness, you start to benefit from increased energy levels, um, uh, increased stamina levels. Um, you can go a lot longer physical endurance. So whether that's pushing through um, pain, but then also developing the strength to be able to hold your body. Now, if we're thinking about 
heavy play sessions and what that might look like, you know, um, as a sub and, you know, um, as a young sub in, in, in my teenage years, you know, I was held in all sorts of different positions for <laughs> hours on end. And so having the core strength, um, to be able to hold yourself within a position, um, that's really uncomfortable for about two hours while, um, you have a heavy session going on can make all the difference. Um, let me tell you, but also as we age as kinksters, um, having the physical strength to be able to move our bodies well, um, sets us up for longevity, ability to reach down in our nineties to lace up our 18 hole boots or the ability to actually stay mobile. Um, and so as we ages, um, kinksters in the community, um, prioritizing our physical wellness um, um, allows us to do quite a few things. Um, and so um, it, it allows us to um, be able to take care of ourselves into, you know, our older years. Um, but also um, it allows us to, you know, stay mobile and vibrant and vivacious, but also move well. Uh, and so when you start to kind of prioritize fitness from a physical and mental perspective, you really start to unlock quite a lot of benefits for your life. Um, and so I think um, one of the barriers for a lot of folks, um, you know, to getting into um, a more kind of healthier lifestyle or a more active, active lifestyle is barrier we create around, I'm not, you know, a gym, a gym bunny, or I'm not a muscle Mary, or I'm not, um, or I don't fit into, you know, that roided set. Um, so therefore I'm going to talk myself out of the space. It's really easy to kind of like fall into that trap. My message to anyone who's kind of listening, um, to this podcast is if you are thinking about making a wellness shift in your life, if you're thinking about reclaiming your health or, or really improving your mental health. And you're thinking about doing that through making a shift, do it. Because uh, uh, at the end of the day, you're going to benefit tremendously. And by making that shift, you're going to learn so much about how strong you are, um, not just outside, but inside as well. And if you are considering about making that shift you know, you're, you're not sure where to start or you have started and you, you kind of need some extra support, then um, really start with this decision tree. And we really want you to think about this decision tree. Do I like sport? If the answer is yes, go do it. Um, if the, um, find a sport that you love um, and pick it up um, and just bring it in for joy. It doesn't even have to be competitive. Just do it. Move your body. If the answer is no, um, uh, then um, that's absolutely fine. Do you love a physical activity that you enjoy? Is it dancing? Is it yoga? Is it um, swimming? Whatever it is, um, go do it. Move your body. If you don't like sport, that's absolutely fine. And if you're wanting to develop uh, physical strength, um, go do it and work with uh, you know a coach who's going to help you get there. So Chris, one thing I would like to talk about is the expectation that we put on our partners when it comes to you know, fetish and fitness and kink play and how we choose, who we choose and why we choose someone to play with. Um, share your thoughts with us on that. 
expectations um, in itself, they kind of, they, they live in our minds, right? Um, and so um, there are those unwritten sort of frameworks that kind of guide our decision making, right? And so, you know, ultimately, you know, as human beings, we're, we're pack animals, right? Um, and so there's a certain amount of finding your tribe or your pack that we can in- inherently kind of like fall into, uh, you know, um, very subconsciously as well. And we see this on the scene all the time, whether it's um, cliques forming or even preconceptions forming as well. Um, and um, we can sometimes get caught up in the expectations that our partners need to have certain physical attributes um, to be able to satisfy our needs. Um, or um, maybe it's, you know, something like their height or their hairiness, or, you know, um, maybe it's the size of their chest, or um, uh, maybe it's the um, amount of body fat they should have, you know, um, if you're into bigger and curvier guys. Um, and so I think, you know, the challenge with that is, um, we put these expectations onto others that they might need to be a certain way to be able to meet the, the, the bar to entry to play with us, um, which is such a shame um, because there's a lot of richness that's lost um, within a connection. And so when we start to create those expectations around um, body types, it's um, really problematic because effectively, you know, we're, we're cutting off the potential for maybe something really wonderful to happen. And so when you start to strip that all away and you realize that the most important organ in your body um, um, from a kink and fetish perspective is your brain and actually your body, yes, while useful and creates that physical attraction, it's actually your mind that allows you to bring creativity to a scene or um, an interaction or to hold space for someone else's um, fetish. It allows you to explore, allows you to co-create. And so when we start to kind of realize that actually, you know what, Um, our, our bodies aren't really the biggest tool here. It's our minds. We start to open up deeper levels of connection and relationship and play um, because we're able to hold space for all of that creativity. And within expectations, another problematic area is where we start to believe that our partners should value the same things that I value. So whether it's, you know, have the same kinks as me, um, they have to be into pissing. They have to be into as play they have to be into rubber or lecture or whatever it is or pain um or they have to look a certain way or they have to be into um the um same activities as i am so whether it's you know i don't know um uh running or the same hobbies or what have you um actually none of that is true um and so when you start to kind of put those expectations around how your partner should live their lives in a way that you value, you start to devalue 
them and their lives and their interests. It's um, it's it's kind of a tough pill to swallow, really, because because really, you know, at the end of the day, that just breeds a lot of disconnection. And so, when you're able to recognize that and that expectation around value systems, you can step away from that and go, actually, do you know what? My play partner or my partner is really into weightlifting or they're really into running or yoga or, you know, they're just a really cool hobby chef and, you know, they're not into physical fitness at all or wellness. And, you know, you know, maybe they're happy, you know, um, 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 doing their things as a gamer. That's absolutely fine. Or maybe um, um, they're not quite into bondage or pain play, what have you, that's absolutely fine. But can they hold space for the things that you value? Yes. Can you hold space for the things that they value? Brilliant. Excellent. Go enjoy, explore, co-create together. Chris, I want to close out with something that you said before, and it was don't take yourself out of an experience. You know, we can often self-sabotage and become our worst enemy when we start feeling like we're not good enough or we don't look good enough. And what also happens in the reverse, as you also just said, is we start to put that pressure on other people as well. And what I would say is to maybe think about not limiting yourself. You know, the King scene in the King community is so diverse and leaves us with so much room for creativity. Um, you know, just take a little bit of time to think about how else you might be able to connect with an individual. What else can you enjoy with someone else? What else is out there in this incredible world of kink and fetish um, for you to explore and enjoy and to actually find something that you feel good about. You know, within the LGBTQ plus community, you know, as you mentioned before, there is huge societal expectations um, to look a certain way. And we can all get caught up in this and apply so much pressure to ourselves. And we know that social media plays a huge part in this as well. And this is the good and the bad, because sometimes we can find those nice little helpful points. But, you know, scrolling the pictures and everything else and it starts to build up in your mind. And so we also, you know, the negative bit starts to come in. And I would say... For anyone who's listening to this podcast, you know, take a little bit of time to think about who you are. Of course, you should think about who you want to play with and why you choose to play with them. But also think about, I'll probably say this 10,000 more times, think about whether or not you're adding extra pressure onto yourself or onto the partner and whether or not that person may be right for you to play with. Reality check. They just may not be the right one for you to play with. Um, and you have to think about what the effects of this pressure might be. You know, if body and mental health challenges are affecting your kink life, you might consider, um, you know, talking to someone like Chris, you might consider getting a coach. You might consider seeing um, a psychotherapist. You know, it can really lead to a positive and safe approach to learning to enjoy your kink again and in a healthy way. And I would say this for anything that involves um, fitness, especially, you know, baby steps, take baby steps. No one says you have to arrive in five minutes, you have to arrive tomorrow, baby steps. You know, it might not be easy from the start, but remember there is a whole other community and a whole other network of people who believe it or not, you know, are, 
the cheerleaders for embracing this really positive side of what is our lovely and wonderful and friendly and angry and sometimes fucked up kinky community. There is a whole lot of people within this who are going to be cheering you on. And that's one good thing when we talk about community, you know, it's about, you know, people who have your back. And I think we all bring this element of mental well-being into the conversation very, very often. And I think, think about what you yourself might be contributing to this conversation. You know, what does a healthy kink life look like to you? Have you given it a lot of thought um, to understanding your own relationship with uh, fetish and fitness? Have you thought about your own physical boundaries when you're playing with someone when it comes to kink and fetish? Have you thought about the boundaries of your dom, your master, or the boundaries of your sub, your slave? You know, you may want them to do things that they just may not be physically able to do. And these are often going to be the challenges of the things we think about when we're choosing who to play with. But we also have to be realistically in tune with what is physically possible, what is mentally possible, what is mentally capable, what are they capable of? And it will really determine how you enjoy your fetish. I want you to think about that. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. And once again, thank you, Chris, for joining us and being such an amazing guest. Bye for now. We'll see you back on the podcast soon.